Welcome to a new wave of entrepreneurship. I'm Latifa Farah, Associate Creative Producer at Venture for Canada and the producer of a new wave of entrepreneurship. The focus of this podcast is to hear from changemakers and Canadian entrepreneurs to learn about how they've developed their entrepreneur mindset and skills. In Season 5, we'll be chatting with CEOs, founders, and successful business leaders about their career journeys. We're excited to dive into these conversations about how to foster your entrepreneurial mindset and drive. Currently, Afraj Gill is a partner at OnDeck and was previously a director slash general manager at the Royal Bank of Canada's Ventures Arm. Recently, he also co-founded Drop Mobility, one of the first micro-mobility companies in North America that was backed by top Silicon Valley investors. He is a former contestant for Canada's parliament and is passionate about investing in and mentoring startup founders doing their life's work. Afraj, we've known each other for, uh, I think, probably seven or eight years at this point. You're probably the person I've known the longest who we've had on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing this afternoon? Wow, I'm honored, man. Thank you for having me. And Scott, I know you probably hear this a lot, but the work you've done with Mentor for Canada over the past several years, I still remember like the early days. It's incredible. Um, and yeah, it really is. Uh, so kudos to you and thanks for having me, man. Thanks for the kind words. And I uh, appreciate your support at the beginning. And for our listeners background, uh, Average and I worked in the same building uh, for four or five years. And we would often have frequent uh, lunches uh, for over the course of, of a couple of years uh, together. So it was, I look back very fondly on those lunches, uh, often if I remember in the CBC uh, food court <laughs> at that random little uh, uh, very old school uh, restaurant. But um, kind of to, to reference something we were chatting about in, in the pre-show uh, average, we're, you were chatting about the importance of, of self-awareness. So uh, why do you think self-awareness is so important for leaders to develop? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I think it's a you know, really opportune time to think about this, right? Um, self-awareness, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, there, I mean, you know, at, a, at the base level, there's mental health reasons. There's, I'm sure this is a small sample size, but generally speaking, the people who I know who are the most self-aware also happen to have um, really great mental health, right? And then you kind of dig a little deeper and you ask yourself, wait a minute, why is that? Well, then you kind of get into interesting, um, uh, an interesting area, right? Where uh, uh, one of the things I believe is meditation is a great vehicle to achieve mental health, great healthy, you know, to achieve self-awareness. So anyway, there's, there's that reason, let's just call that sort of, you know, your, your health, right? Which is incredibly important. As Nubble, I think uh, Nubble Ravikant says, health, wealth, happiness in that order, right? If you don't have health, everything else is irrelevant. So I think that in and of itself should be uh, suf a sufficient enough reason for somebody to try to seek self-awareness or at least improve in that area. Now, if you get into other things like running a company or becoming a better investor or making better decisions, um, I actually think, you know, being very self-aware aware is probably... Um, really vital to be a good, to being a good decision maker. Um, and if you think about leadership in the context of building companies, a significant part of the time, you're getting paid to make high quality decisions, right? Um, and in any senior role, that's one of the primary, if not the primary thing that matters. And so if self-awareness can help you become a better decision maker, then well, I think you should try to seek it. 
as much as you can try to improve in that area right so those are a couple of the reasons i'm sure there's a ton more um but to me at a very personal level it's all about you know uh, mental health and everything else is just icing on the cake what does your meditation practice uh, look like most of my thinking actually on meditation um uh is influenced by Neville ravikant so i think people should probably just go check out his content he's incredible uh, chances are, if somebody's listening to this podcast, they already have consumed a lot of his content. Um, so I think for, for me, meditation, uh, waking up in the morning, grabbing a notebook, uh, and letting your mind wander and writing things down that come to your, you know, to your, to your mind, that's, that's one form. Um, but it's also about being meditative, right? Um, uh, taking moments throughout the day to appreciate the moment and being present. Um, so it could be, we're having a conversation right now, Scott, I'm present, I'm focused on you, right? Your body language, your questions, um, and at least I'm trying my best, right? If I get distracted, which I probably will, maybe there'll be, I don't know, you know, somebody will start mowing their lawn or I'll see the male person come and drop a package. I might get distracted, but I think the key thing is catching myself and refocusing my attention on us and our conversation. Um, so that, that's an example of trying to be meditative, right? Um, I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as a perfect sort of state um, there. You're constantly, uh, it's, it's a constant sort of battle, right? Um, it's so important. And I think that if I ever had kids, I would love to like teach them. Uh, there's so many things I reflected on in the last year uh, that uh, I think that I've done a lot of unlearning in the last year about certain bad habits. And one of the things that's been interesting is reflecting on the amount of things I wish that I'd been taught, like when I was like between the ages of like five to 15 from our, like in our school system, like why isn't mindfulness a class or just even mental models. And, and there's, there's so much, I think that can be taught to, to kids, uh, particularly potentially right in their kind of like early teenage years, right. When, as life kind of starts to get a little bit more, uh, more stressful. So uh, on the, in this vein average, if you could go back in time, and you could speak to your 18 year old self who was just about to go to Queens and move from British Columbia and, and start a whole new chapter of your life. What advice would you tell them? One of the most important things is um, pursue your curiosity, right? Um, a lot of people are not fearful of failure, but they're afraid of success. And I think like I very much resonated with that as a young kid. So the context is uh, I'm an immigrant myself, right? I was young. Uh, I was eight years old when I uh, immigrated to Canada with, with my family and you grow up and it's kind of the classic immigrant, I won't get into it too much, but it's a classic sort of uh, immigrant, immigrant struggle. And, you know, you're, you grow up in uh, an environment where you kind of have to stay in your lane. You stay out of trouble, you know, you, you, you go to school, you get good grades, um, get into school, get into the right university and the program, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think the most important thing I would probably tell myself is like, you know, take big swings and don't be afraid to succeed. Uh, in prep, in preparing for this uh, interview, I thought back to a lunch we had and I remember you talked to me about your experience interning at Google and how you secured the internship uh, at, at Google. And uh, it's a pretty remarkable story. I, I don't want to, to do a spoiler. So my question to you, Afraj, is can you describe uh, your your journey of, of uh, securing an internship at, at Google. I uh, 
applied. I messaged, uh, I cold emailed. Uh, actually, funny enough, a lot of the opportunities that I've um, been fortunate to have in my career so far have been through cold emails. Um, and so I cold emailed someone at Google X, uh, you know, basically the person who runs it. And um, it was it was like, I think it was 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. I was probably applying for internships uh, and uh, kind of said to myself, like, okay, well, I'm never going to hear back here. You know, I went to sleep, forgot about it a few days later um, and uh, heard back. Uh, the prelude to this I actually applied, but got turned down. Like, you know, I forget how many months before um, and heard back and uh, had a conversation uh, with somebody on the team who was senior and one conversation led to another and another, and then, you know, eventually got the internship. But I think like the thing I look back at um, from that experience is we, uh, it, it, you know, it's like, if you think about, so one of the things I think about a lot is asymmetric upside, right? Um, that's a great example of spending a little bit of time doing something. I flew down as well, by the way, like there's a whole uh, backstory there um, around, uh, you know, meeting people and networking my way uh, uh, into Silicon Valley. Um, but the, the key thing is uh, uh, you put in a certain amount of time or, you know, some input, uh, and I think a lot of times we end up thinking about, we end up, we, we end up feeling to think about asymmetric upside, right? I, I, all I had to do was, uh, and trust me, there were, uh, there was a voice in my head that was like, this is a waste of time. Why are you doing this? Right. I actually had a professor at Queens university tell me it was a waste of my time to apply that I wasn't going to get in. Take what people who are quote unquote experienced say with a grain of salt, because, the way advice works is that advice that was relevant 10 years ago is not only irrelevant today, but could actually be counterproductive and damaging to your career. So you really got to be careful with how you filter information. Uh, for me, I, I buckled down, sent an email, um, and look what that email turned into, right? Talk about asymmetric upside. That was such an incredible insight for me. Um, and I still remember signing that offer and thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, what if I didn't send that email that night? Can you imagine? Like, what if I didn't send that email that night? That experience for me was transformative, right? I got to fly down to the valley, meet incredible people. I finally felt for the first time in my life, like, holy smokes, um, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, there's critical juncture points in our lives. And often we, sometimes we can tell that those junctures, but often we, we can't. And uh, I, it definitely resonates. By the way, too, I, I, so the first point is that one of the things I really admire about you, uh, Afraj, is your uh, persistence and resilience. Like I think that that internship example uh, is a is a is a great one where you know the odds were completely stacked against you. Even your professor was like, "No, you can't, you can't do this," and you had self doubt, uh, but you kept on persisting. And if I remember the story correctly, too, I think that there was an element of it that it shows even more the persistence is I believe what the thing you said to me, this is like five or six years ago, is you sent not just one email, but many emails uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, and uh, you were really able to grab this because lots of people would cold email this person. But you, you had the creativity to say, I'm going to send this guy a person a bunch of emails and grab their attention. And look, and, and, and you know, at the worst case, the person finds you annoying. You sent them a bunch of cold emails. 
Uh, now, to your point, the asymmetric upside, you end up getting an internship at, at, uh, at Google from a place that Google doesn't really recruit at. And when everybody said you couldn't get it. The immigrant experience here like helps a lot uh, as well. Um, uh, I'm a big believer that like people who have immigrated, um, they uh, are generally like very persistent. I'm, I'm not gonna say more persistent. I think just like generally it, it, it's forced, it's forced into you. It's like, a, you know, um, kind of, uh, you, you don't really have a choice. So yeah, and you know, shoot your shot, right? Like be shameless. Um, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody just like, doesn't respond to you, you know, they ignore you. Worst case, they even respond to you and say, stop bothering me. Like, and they'll probably forget about you in a year. Right. Um, uh, so I think uh, just, you know, continue to do that. On the topic of, of resilience, uh, and I agree, it's one of the most important things, particularly in the, the crazy world that we live in, where there's flooding and uh, pandemics and crazy stuff just constantly happening. You are the co-founder of Drop uh, Mobility, and uh, through our own kind of conversations, you've talked with me about the challenges that that you experienced uh, at uh, Drop, uh, which were pretty uh, significant and, and taught you a lot. Can you speak a little bit about those challenges? And then as a, as a follow-up, how did those challenging experiences enhance your personal resilience? So for some context on, on Drop, it was one of the earlier micro-mobility companies. Um, so, you know, that's the scooter sharing and bike sharing uh, uh, stuff that took over the world. It seems like in every other city you go to, there's there's scooters everywhere. Um, but uh, I think like the 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 biggest challenge, uh, and I want to be mindful because you know the the companies around and doing well. I I personally had a uh, very clear sort of thesis uh, in terms of um, uh, I had two thoughts. The first was this is going to be a big market, right? It was a bet on the market. We were right about that by and far. Uh, Bird just IPO'd uh, and we were like, we incorporated way before Bird, right? Like we saw this thing turning into something potentially incredibly large because we connected to it, connected to it at a personal level, but we also saw that there would be a world where the unit economics work out. I think a lot of like, and, and there's still a lot of stuff that's being figured out in the market, by the way. Um, the second thing was our sort of key thesis was that uh, cities uh, have uh, seen the tech playbook of, um, you know, how, how companies and technology play ball with government and with cities. And we're going to do things a little bit differently, right? Um, we don't need capital to be a moat necessarily we can partner up with cities. We'll still raise capital, but you know, it'll be a different game. In terms of learning and the challenges, I mean, working with government is really hard, right? That's an obvious statement. I don't think anybody listening to that is gonna be like, oh, really? Like that's, that's surprising, right? So working with government is really hard. Um, and the other, the other thing is a lot of the challenges associated with building companies are honestly like there's so many, you could be building a SaaS company, you could be building a mobility company, you could be building an education company, whatever. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in the nature of challenges that you experience, right? Um, the biggest one as a founder is just uh, everything up here in your head, right? Um, how do you grow as a leader? How do you deal with failure? right? How do, you, um, uh, how do you keep going when you feel like things are not necessarily working? I mean, Scott, like you've been building Metro Can for Canada for a long time, right? You've, you've seen this roller coaster as much as any great entrepreneur, any great CEO has. Um, and so I think like 
without getting into the, you know, the nature of the market challenges, which every founder faces in every market, right? Um, I think like a lot of uh, entrepreneurship is a test of uh, resilience and grit, right? And so that's what it teaches you is um, it really flexes that muscle. It really helps you train that. Um, and it, it helps you catch yourself uh, sometimes because it's such a painful journey that there is no place for ego. How do you think a, a young person or a recent grad can cultivate a healthy relationship with failure? A lot of it comes down to unlearning everything you've learned, probably, given the nature of the education system that we've all grown up under. Getting an F is bad, man, in school. No matter how you slice and dice it, you get an F on your report card, good luck, right? Uh, so one of the things I would tell myself is the real world doesn't work that way, right? Um, to achieve success, you will fail. You know, it's not like you are likely to fail or whatever. And by the way, I don't believe in, you know, glorifying failure either. Like there's, there's no point in that. Nobody likes feeling. Feeling is not good, right? For anybody. Um, however, when you fail, you should just treat that you really have to pause and ask yourself, what have I learned? Um, and what can I improve on? What will I do differently next time? How is On Deck uh, helping to prepare the next generation of founders? On Deck is such an incredible, interesting place. And one of the things I think we do really well is uh, building community, right? I mean, that's how On Deck started, right? Like On Deck was a volunteer-run uh, group of communities uh, around the world where people who wanted to build could go uh, find one another, right? Um, and that's how the organization was really started. Um, and so if you're a founder today and you're looking to build, you might be looking for a co-founder. Well, we have a fellowship for that called On Deck Founders. Um, and we also have an accelerator, right? So now we can actually finance companies at the earliest stages. Um, you might be a CEO looking to scale your company uh, because you found product market fit. It's a lonely journey. Uh, and you want to be around the highest caliber CEOs on uh, similar journeys, just building different types of businesses. Well, we also have a place for you called On Deck Scale, right? And so community uh, is what we, you know, community, um, I think, is uh, often misunderstood and almost always underrated, right? And I think community is just a really strong tool to grow personally and to grow your business. So that's like, you know, personally, like that's for, for me as a founder, when I look at On Deck, I'm just like so much, the, 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 there's so much help uh, and uh, such a deep, uh, deeply rooted sense of service that exists in all our programs and in our ethos as a company and in our communities, right? And just think about it, like you're building a company, you're building a business, you're, you're signing up for this journey that is you know, quite lonely as a founder, as an entrepreneur. And I mean, Scott, again, like, you know this, right? Now imagine having a group of people to consistently, consistently lean on through the life cycle of the business. We don't just stop talking to you after you find product market fit or you're scaling your company. You're still part of the ecosystem. We have a place for you, right? And people want to help. What's the biggest challenge about scaling community? And with the context that OnDeck has grown substantially, like the number of people you serve uh, each year, um, what, what, it, what is that the most significant challenge of, of how you, you scale that community over time? Well, the most important thing is making sure that as you, uh, as you, like, as you scale, you're keeping a high quality group of, you're bringing in a high quality group of people, 
right? Um, and so one of the things we always talk about, especially here, I mean, the whole company talks about, but on our team with OnDeck Scale, we're very big on making sure that uh, the, the CEOs we're bringing, bringing in are the highest quality CEOs. Uh, and equally importantly, making sure they're a good community fit. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means a lot of different things. But one of the things it means is, uh, you know, does the CEO find value in peer-to-peer learning? And, and it's okay if they don't. That's totally fine. There's going to be CEOs who are not a community fit. They're going to build extraordinary organizations. Now, it turns out in our experience, most of the people uh, in that camp building winning companies do really appreciate and respect the, the need for peer-to-peer learning and being part of a network. On the topic of like problems and solving, if you were to leave on deck tomorrow, what's the number one problem you would want to go to solve in terms of founding a, a new business? Uh-huh. Well, um, I'm not going to be leaving on deck anytime soon, <laughs> but hypothetically, uh, just in terms of problems that are interesting to me these days, um, I think that uh, uh, energy uh, and climate change um, is fascinating. I think there's uh, a lot more capital flowing to it. Um, but not not enough, and there's not not enough builders in it. Like the the, the market opportunity is just immense, and there's so much that can be done. Uh, and we're going to see all sorts of interesting companies being built in that space. So that's one. I I've still for a very long time since university I actually gave a TEDx talk on this. Um, well, not exactly this. It was one of the components of it, which is education and thinking about unbundling uh, uh, the credential, right? What, what, what do we need to have in order for people to not be as inspired as uh, maybe they once were going into fancy institutions, paying a bunch of money for a fancy degree that isn't really worth much, but, you know, just a piece of paper. Um, and you can replace that learning, that quality of learning and network by going elsewhere that isn't going to put you into a deep hole of debt. Um, what can we do there? There's interesting stuff happening. Um, you know, I think working for the right employer, for example, for a certain period of time is a form of a credential, right? So I've been thinking a lot about just unbundling the credential. That's something I think I just find fascinating. Um, those are a couple of things. Obviously, like, you know, learning about crypto. Um, I'm personally uh, at the very beginning of my learning journey, but I think it's a very critical one. And I think people who aren't learning are going to be... Uh, I don't think it's a good idea. Like, I think if you're in technology, you should probably like learn about crypto. Uh, it's a very important part of our, it will be a very critical part of our future. It already is. Um, and uh, there's a lot of interesting, really neat stuff there. One of the things I uh, I do that I, you know, recommend people doing to do as well is like create, you know, I don't know, have like a notes, uh, Evernote page or uh, on your own notes app or whatever, um, where you, list down ideas that you get, right? Observations that you have throughout the day. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. I have a 50 plus page Google doc filled with ideas. So, and they're all over the place uh, in every possible industry you can imagine. And um, I've gotten in the habit where I've built the muscle memory, where if I'm experiencing something, even right now during the pod, I wrote like one thing down, um, just like a random note, that'll probably make its its way into that document, right? Um, Because it's something you said. So I think like, just getting into that habit um, is really healthy. And it's actually even more important, funny enough, when you're building a company and you've actually, you're scaling a company because you have to keep that spirit of um, generating uh, new ideas, even if it's connected to what you're already doing alive. 
it's a muscle that needs to be worked uh, constantly. I think that creativity and then new idea generation. And sometimes it's funny, average because one of the things I've been trying to do in the context of Venture for Canada, where I've been doing this for eight years, and to be fair, we were do, we've done a, we've evolved a lot in the last year or two, but I've been sensitive to not be like, oh, I don't want to come up with new ideas. Like I don't want to just become stale and just kind of doing the, the same same old. And uh, I think it's really important, particularly uh, when someone's been doing something for some time to keep that and be intentional about that muscle of constantly kind of thinking about uh, new things, which is one of the things like this podcast was new this year. I've never done kind of a podcast and it's a point of always try like new things and develop uh, kind of new skills uh, and, and, and just learn. But Afraj, it has been a true pleasure chatting with you. We have covered a really wide range of topics from you securing an internship at Google through some very creative methods and the power of uh, cold email uh, to uh, on deck and the work that you're doing to support entrepreneurs to how young people can cultivate their resilience and uh, view failure as potentially a good thing and an important part of their entrepreneurial journey. I, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you over the last uh, seven years. And I really look forward to seeing you in person uh, again one day. It's been, we've, we've had many conversations virtually over the last, uh, well, since the pandemic started, but it'll be exciting to see you in, in person again. And, and it's great to, uh, uh, to call your friend and, and a longtime supporter of uh, VFC as well. So thank you so much for coming on the conversation today. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate all of that. And I am very deeply grateful that a builder like you is, has built and is continuing to build Venture for Canada. I think it's like a lot of people uh, know about Venture for Canada, but I think I, uh, I, I'm just like, I'm incredibly proud of you as a friend. And I'm very grateful that this exists, this organization exists. And what you guys have done is just in, like, it's incredible. It really is. That's it for this week's episode of A New Wave of Entrepreneurship. Stay connected with us via our social and our email list. Subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Venture4Canada, that is Venture, the number four, Canada, or email us at podcast at Venture4, that's spelled F-O-R, Canada.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Stewart, and until next time, stay safe, Stay motivated and stay grateful. A new wave of entrepreneurship is produced by Winita Lee Garcia and Latifa Farah. Editing and mixing also done by Latifa Farah. Erica Ormanston is our editorial assistant. Mark Wallach and Premium Beat own the copyright and publishing rights related to the song used in this podcast. The comments and opinions, recommendations, or suggestions expressed on the podcast by the guests are not liable to Venture for Canada and belong solely to each individual. Any information provided stated by our guests and our host is independent of Venture for Canada. A new wave of entrepreneurship is a Venture for Canada brand and all content is owned by Venture for Canada. If you'd like to use our content, please reach out to us at podcast at venture4, that's spelled F-O-R, Canada.ca.